Invest as an LP first, right? So first of all, you do that so you can see what the process is like, you can see what the experience is like, but more importantly, you can see what you like and don't like about the process. So are you being communicated enough? Is the operator being transparent with you about any issues? Are you getting distributions on time? Are they keeping you in the loop? Everybody operates their business a little bit differently. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you build financial independence through real estate investing and help you take control of your wealth by investing in Main Street real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Margaret Kozlark. Today we're going through her story of burning the ships at her high-earning corporate career where she was traveling all the time. She wanted to create financial independence and time freedom through real estate investing, decided to commit to that path, and today she's a full-time real estate investor and realtor who helps other realtors build wealth with real estate. We go through her story of leaving her corporate career, struggles that she had along the way, that is to be expected, and she worked through them, really powered through, and is now a full-time real estate investor and realtor. We applaud her for achieving that, and today we're going through that story. Very inspiring, a lot of great lessons in this one. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and to date, I have acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. I really, really do. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content, you're escaping Wall Street, and you're building wealth on Main Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Margaret Kozlark. Let's get into it. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about yourself and where you came from in the corporate world? Hey, sure, Taylor. First of all, thanks for having me on your show. My name is Margaret Kozlark. I'm the co-founder of NoblyVest, and I was... You know, kind of did the route that everybody thought was what you were supposed to do. Went to college, got that good corporate job, worked my way up to the corner office and got there and realized that I pretty much had no life. I was had little kids that I was never seeing. I was commuting an hour to New York City every day. So great. I made it. <laughs> it kind of sucks up here. Oh, something had to change. So at that point, and I would like to say I found real estate at that point. I didn't. But what I did do is I moved closer to my house. I started, you know, kind of working more consulting. But once I did finally get introduced to the world of syndication research or syndication investing, rather, I jumped in and I never looked back. Awesome. Great. Well, I'd love to go through your journey today and how you you know, achieved more time freedom, got to the mm-hmm. point where you wanted to be, and also the the mental side of things, because I believe that limiting beliefs hold more people back than kind of the reality that we operate in. So let's rewind the clock and and really focus on when you had a goal, Mm -hmm. but you didn't exactly know how to attain it. Maybe you were scared to take that first step. Absolutely. And and you're so right about mindset. I'm a huge believer in that. And I also think sometimes we literally don't know what's possible because we we don't allow our mind to expand enough, right? So at this point, I was working a corporate job. I was traveling a fair amount. And, and I knew I was tired and I really wanted to be able to spend more time with my kids, but I really wasn't sure how to do it. 
And a friend of mine told me that she was starting to invest with this guy named Joe Fairless, who was just starting this thing where he was buying apartment buildings. And did I want to get in on the ground? And I was like, well, it's great. First of all, thank you. But I can buy an apartment building. But I'm flattered, but what are you nuts? So she went ahead and did it. And I just kind of watched and started seeing what she was doing. And I'm like, okay, she's making amazing returns. Great. Okay, check. I'm ready. I just have to figure out where I'm going to get the money to do this. Because at this point, I was a single mom. I had three kids and I was ready to go, but I didn't have $50,000 lying around. But what I did have, Taylor, was I had a 401k for my previous corporate life. So I used that. I converted it into a self-directed IRA. And that's how I got into my first syndicated deal. Great. Okay. So what was your process of you know, finding that deal, vetting it, working through all those steps? Because for me, self-directed IRA was my first move as well. In hindsight, I do actually have some regrets about that decision, but you know, that's a discussion for another day. What was your process there? So I would love to tell you that I was so studious and I analyzed everything. And the fact is I did not. I was lucky that I had a very honest friend that I relied on. And I was like, Holly says it's a good idea. She's making great returns. Let's go for it. It's a 401k. If I lose my 50 grand, yeah, it will suck. But it's not like I could have access to it now anyway. So let's just try. Sure. Mess the truth of it. <laughs> there was very little research, Taylor. I'm going to be honest. It was Joe's track record. He was my first investment. I'm like, all right, he's got something here. It's working. Okay. Okay. So how did you progress forward from there? Because it's a lot of folks, they might make that first passive investment and decide, yeah, oh, this is going well for me, but I really want to go more the active route. I'm not sure if that's right for me. Does that really fit my long-term financial goals? So did you find yourself at a fork in the road after making that first investment? Where did you go from there? So yes and no. Because I was investing with my retirement funds, I couldn't quit my W-2 right away because, you know, as you know, first of all, you don't get those tax benefits which I suspect is one of your regrets, but also I couldn't access the money right away anyway. So I was really for at least another two or three years, I was still working the W-2 job and I was, you know, investing with my 401k. And then what happened is my mom passed away, left me a small amount of money, not a ton, but I used that to do my first post-tax investment. And that's where I saw all of the amazing benefits that you get with the depreciation and the tax savings. And it was like, oh my gosh, like this was a whole other area I wasn't even seeing with the self-directed IRA. But more importantly, just like I watched Holly succeed, my friends and family were coming to me going, what is this you're doing with apartment buildings? Wait, how can we, how can I do this? I want to get involved. So I thought, okay, well, if they want to get involved, I can hand them off to somebody or I could kind of hang up my shingle and try to do my own little business. So that's what I did. I had a very, very, very small company called MGH Investments for the name of my three kids. And, and I, was, I was doing that. I was, I was kind of partnering with people, you know, sort of doing a little bit of asset management stuff in terms of like marketing, some tenant relations, because as you know, you can never just raise capital. But really where the business took off was when I realized I, there was only so far I could go by myself. And so I ended up, I had met my now partner about two and a half years ago through the pandemic. So we talked through a whole thing. We realized our ethics were aligned. We had complementary skill sets. So we thought, you know what, let's, let's go into business together. So Noblevest as a company is only about, about a year and a half old. But during the last year, you know, we, we did two fund of funds. We acquired two large portfolios in Dothan, Alabama and Sarasota. We're working on one now. And so we've had just like this exponential growth because now it's like, there's some saying, right? Like, so I can't remember what it was, but like two times two or 
one plus one doesn't equals two, it equals three or something like that, right? When you get like more bodies helping. Yeah. So we've just been really growing together and it's been super exciting. Awesome. Great. So you're in Connecticut. Where is your partner base? You've been talking about doing deals kind of separated from where you are and how are you handling, you know, all the location side? That is probably the biggest challenge that we have. So she is up here in the Northeast as well. She is in Westchester County, New York. And so with us, while ultimately we want to get on the acquisition side, for now, we really have a few trusted partners that we work with because, you know, and she's got younger kids even than mine. We can't, you know, jump on a plane and go walk 254 units in Florida or in Texas or, you know, anything like that. So that's why we look to the fund to fund models, but we do still do co-GPs occasionally when we have, you know, good relationships with the general partners and then we'll come on their partnership team as well. Okay. Okay. So how has this strategy did with your decision to either stay in or leave the corporate world and you know what are your what have your priorities been there so so yeah so thank you for asking that okay so first of all love do not love to the people in the corporate world do not miss that world don't miss the hours don't miss the travel don't miss anything of it but when i did end up leaving which was about going on four years ago at this point i did still need to make money because the bulk of my money was still in the 401k so what i did was i became a local real estate agent so i always say that's sort of my income and then the syndication is my long-term plan for long-term. But it was amazing to me, a couple of things I noticed, if you'll humor me. One is, if you think about a typical real estate agent, I would say seven out of 10 of them are women, right? You think about the investor, you flip it, and it tends to be more male-dominated. There's more women coming in, but it's still, yeah, I would say, predominantly male. But whether it's male or female, shockingly, only maybe less than 10% actually invest in real estate themselves which was stunning to me because I'm like, we're out there literally not walking the talk, telling everybody how great real estate is, working with investors. And yet so many of the people I work with do not do investing themselves. So that's my personal quest. I want to try to try to change that and try to help with the mindset that you can do that too. Absolutely. That is true. And, and I've found when you get into the real estate investing space, you meet a lot of people who are realtors. They're yes. very kind of common in the real estate investing space. But when you talk with realtors in general, very few of them invest. Yeah. And when you hear them talk about a property, quote unquote, as an investment, their analysis is not what an investor would necessarily do. Yes. And in, in my experience. Yes, 100%. And and also, first of all, so you, you're right about there are a fair amount of investors that are realtors, but that's because they mm -hmm. became realtors so that they could either yes. get the commission or save on the commission. But then, like you said, when they look at you know, oh, it's a great investment. It tends to be the mindset is still, oh, this this house is going to appreciate in 30 years. And by the time you're ready to sell it, you've sold your family versus the investors, of course, are all about the cash flow. You know what I mean? Okay, what's the NOI? Is it cash flowing? It doesn't matter if there's inflation, if the property's making money, you know? So, and they'll talk about things like, you know, cap rates that, you know, a lot of realtors don't even necessarily completely understand. So the language is different and I love that an investor can go into a property and not be distracted by all the pretty trappings and the stagings. They're just sort of like, okay, down, looking at the boiler. All right, let me look at the foundation. Okay. Versus, you know, and I'm guilty of this too, right? Just like when I go personally shopping, I'm like, okay, looks amazing how they staged it, but up, oh, not looking at that. Want to go down to the bones. So you almost have to train yourself just to sort of look at things differently. So another important statistic about realtors in general is that most of them don't really make a whole lot of money. There's, there's do a few deals a year. And I would, I'm, I'm curious about your personal experience when you were kind of looking over that cliff, if you will, of leaving the corporate world, becoming a realtor, making all those decisions. How did that, did that play in your mind? Did you think about that? How like 
most realtors don't really make quite as much as you were probably making in your corporate career. That is true that they don't. I wasn't as afraid about that because essentially, you know, what I did in market research was I was still an account manager. So I was essentially, I had a sales type role. So I knew how to talk to people. I also knew how to analyze data, which is, I always say that being in market research sales is a unique combination of left and right brain because you have to have the personality to sell, but you have to have the left brain to understand the numbers and explain it to people. And I saw real estate, you know, not dissimilar to that. And because, you know, I have kids and I was very involved in the community, real estate is really just, you know, making sure that sphere of influence knows what you're doing and that you're here to help them. So actually, I think my first year, I think I made a whopping, you know, $2,000 on a rental. But then after that got much better. And, and you know, I, I actually do fairly well with, with Keller, but ideally, you know, ultimately I'd love to get to a point where I'm doing this syndication full-time. So what did that feel like after, you know, you're, you're in month 11 of that first year, you're looking back and saying, you know, this is, this has been a year in the red. Did that, what was your mind space like at that point? Were you thinking, oh, I got to bail on this and go back or I believe in this strategy. I'm going to keep moving forward. Yes. Well, so a couple of things happened. So number one was that, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say it was more like the my first year, calendar year was like four months, right? So that's when I made that whopping $2,000, okay, which enough. was not so bad. But the next year I did end up taking a part-time job working for a doctor's office because to your point, I'm like, okay, well, I still need to have some steady income coming in. But you know, I'm reading this book, Atomic Habits, which I love so much, but it's all about that just small and steady growth, right? So you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And I really, I had that faith and I knew that it was going to hit. It was like that law of attraction. It was just like, okay, I'm just doing, I'm building that wall, I'm building that wall. And it's just, and it did. So I, I think, again, back to your point about mindset, it was just a matter of when it was going to hit, but I knew it would. Okay. Okay. So continuing to, you know, move forward in the syndication space, a lot of folks, when you're, when you're building a syndication business and, you know, any kind of real estate business, really, when you haven't done it before, people are going to ask you, you know, what are your qualifications and, you know, what's your experience like? Mm -hmm. And how did you handle those questions when you were, you know, first getting started and, and address you know, your level of qualification? You had a pretty unique business strategy that allowed you to kind of leverage the experience of others, but mm -hmm. still your own qualifications played in. How did you handle 100%. That? So the first thing I would say is that, I, and I always recommend when I talk to anybody interested in getting into syndication, invest as an LP first, right? So first of all, you do that so you can see what the process is like. You can see what the experience is like. But more importantly, you can see what you like and don't like about the process. So are you being communicated enough? Is the operator being transparent with you about any issues? Are you getting distributions on time? Are they keeping you in the loop? Everybody operates their business a little bit differently. And I have heard about operators who pretty much just, you know, okay, great, make your investment. And then we don't want, you know, let us do our thing. We're going to make you money, but, you know, kind of don't bother us. And, you know, for me, I didn't really want to be that kind of an operator. So we obviously do, you know, monthly updates. We share photos. I'd rather share more. And if somebody doesn't want all that info, they don't have to look at it. Versus I would never want someone to say they're not being kept in the loop or they're not getting enough information. So, so that's one thing. And then, so I had done it for three years. And then I was fortunate because, you know, I had a colleague who, you know, was just doing one of his first deals was interested in, you know, kind of getting some people on board to help with the management of the asset, you know, basically let me come along for the ride so I could kind of observe. I raised a little bit of capital, but I was more involved in like some of the committees and just kind of, you know, the asset management calls. And I learned on the ground with a lot of that. 
And a lot of it is just, and I went to a lot of seminars, a lot of trainings, a lot of things, everything from, you know, underwriting to asset management to, you know, what to look for in a deal and learning about asset classes. And, and I think all of it is when somebody has these conversations and they see that you can articulate well, because most people were like I was back in those corporate days, right? Like, and, you know, and I'm embarrassed to say, but it was true. I probably didn't dig in as deep as I should have with Holly. But I knew her and I trusted her and I trusted her knowledge and it worked out great. And so I know that there are people who probably don't ask me as many questions as they might think of because they almost don't know what to ask. But I take my fiduciary duty very seriously. And so if I'm, you know, entrusted with somebody's capital, I'm going to work my ass off to make sure I preserve it and make the money. So a lot of folks who are find themselves in the position where you found yourself before you left your, your corporate career see maybe a bit of a fork in the mm-hmm. road and they see one direction is passively investing. I'm just going to go stay in my corporate career, earn as much as I can and invest that to reach my financial goals. The other direction is to kind of burn the ships, if you will, as you did. And that's a direction that you decided to go. Did you think about that? Why did you decide to go that way? I'm very interested in why people decide to you know, take the left versus take the right or however you want to organize those paths. Why did you decide to go the way you went? You know, I think for me, I went that way because I think if I did it just sort of on the side, I just don't think I would have made the progress that I wanted to make. So I sort of had to do that burning the ships and had to almost add a little bit of that panic. You know, like this, sometimes they say fear is a good motivator, right? A little bit of that fear, like, okay, my kids need to eat, kind of a thing driving you a bit. But I think everybody's a little bit different. I think it depends on what people's, you know, appetite for risk is. Again, coming from a sales background, I I knew that I was smart. I knew that I'd been in this space for a few years. I knew I didn't know everything by any stretch, but I knew I could find the information. And I and I always loved to be learning. So I knew it was going to be sort of a process of learning. And I'm still learning now. And I'll be still learning in 10 years from now, you know. I don't ever want to be in a thing where a uh, position where I think I know everything, but I just had, I, I, I know it sounds naive, but I just had confidence that, you know, I was going to make this work and, 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 and I would do it. And I did. Interesting. Okay. So did you, would you say you came to that position over time? Was it a kind of a gradual evolution or was there like one time where you were like, that's the way I want to go? Do you, do you see what I mean? I do. And I, I think it probably was a little bit of a gradual evolution. I'm, I'm trying to think back now. You know, it was, you know, the corporate job was getting increasingly difficult. They were they were making some changes that were making it really hard for me. And it just felt like, okay, you know, it, it's time. So let me, let me try to do this full time again. And I did still know that I needed some source of income. So I went and kind of did some things on the side. But, but I realized that when I got into it, I had always been interested in real estate ever since I was a little kid. And it felt like I was sort of rediscovering something like a very, you know, long ago interest that I'd never really done anything with. So the being the agent sort of satisfied that. But what I really loved is I felt like pairing being a local real estate agent with a syndicator really kind of helped broaden the solutions that I could get for people. You know, so like, for example, a couple of years ago when things were going really crazy and I must tell people COVID like was like lighting a match on the Connecticut real estate market. Because before that, I would do like open houses and million dollar listings and I would literally like be dozing off because no one was coming. I kid you (laughs) not, I would bring a book and read for two hours, you know. So, but you know, you want to tell them that you're having it. But then all of a sudden it got really crazy. 
And, and, and it got to the point where investors weren't able to find those deals that they were used to. They were spoiled about the fix and flips, so those sort of things. And even more so, I was seeing a fair amount of empty nesters selling their house early, earlier than they had planned to, you know, cash out at the top of the market. But now they have this pile of money. So given that most people think of either the stock market or if they think of investing, they think, oh, I'm going to buy a house and fix it up like they do on HGTV, right? Or I'm going to flip something. So they were trying to come in like they've seen on TV and buy stuff low and it was not happening. So I would say to them, you need to just get into syndication. And I remember this one guy, he was fairly high up. He was like an IT guy. And he's like, how have I ever heard of this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll send you some stuff. I didn't even get it. I barely left that open house and came home. He had already reached out to me. He's like, I saw your website. I want to learn more about this. Let's set up a call. Like, so when people just get exposed to it and I'm able to provide that exposure and provide that access, because like I said, I was lucky. Somebody exposed me to it. So it's great to be able to expose other people to it, too. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So. Why do you think it is that, uh, maybe I should ask this a little bit earlier, but why do you think it is that most realtors don't really make a lot of money as realtors? First off, would you even agree with that statement? And number two, why? If you if you agree, why? I absolutely that? would agree. And I think there's a few reasons. I think the first reason is that the barrier of entry is very low, right? Especially if you are somebody where the cost of college is prohibited, right? All you have to do is you go and you take a class and you you know, maybe spend a few hundred bucks, take a take a state test and you're a renter. Great, congratulations, you know. But other than that, you haven't really had time to do the base skills of like how to talk to people, how to analyze numbers. So there's a lot of those things. And there's only so much training people can give you so that there's a problem. Second is like they just don't understand initiative. There is a vast differences in the variety of brokers for some offer a ton of training. Keller Williams, for example, offers so much training. I almost think it's too much. It feels like it's a fire hose, right? Others are like, here's your, here's your phone book. Good luck. You know? So it kind of goes, so there's that. But I also think it's so glamorized on HGTV. People think, oh, I'll be a realtor. I'll get to be like Chip and Joetta Gaines. I'll show pretty houses. It'll be so fun. It'll be great. But they don't treat it like it's a business, right? You've got to track your expenses. You know, great. Maybe you made a hundred thousand dollars last year, but if you spent eighty grand in expenses, you really didn't do that great. You know, so I think that is a big differentiator between that and the other thing is you have to get over your fear of rejection. Okay, it's not the worst thing in the world if you ask somebody if they want to buy a house and they're working with somebody else and they're like, no, not that's not. You'll survive, right? It's not cancer. We're not losing a limb. Just talk to people. It's really, it's not hard. It's just. Just as with any sales job, there are people who get very anxious about having a conversation. And maybe it's not for you if you can't do that. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Glad I asked. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Margaret, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's go. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made 
other than in your education? So this is going to sound very corny, but I would have to say my children. I love them very much. They're my big why. And I did shift to a more flexible career so that I can invest my time with them because it goes so fast. And my youngest is now going into college. And I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't been able to be present for those years. So that would be my answer. Nice. Your why matters so, so much. Great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Oh, this is so embarrassing, but I, I, I don't even remember what it was anymore. I want to say four or five years ago. Remember everything was so hyped up with all the pot stocks. Oh my gosh, everybody's going to make millions of marijuana. It's going to be legalized. It's going to be amazing. Wow. So cool. I totally broke my rule of not really, you know, investing in what I knew. So, I mean, I didn't spend a ton on it, thank goodness. But I think I dropped like, I don't know, five grand into some pot stocks. And I think it's worth like $300 now. It's just something so painful. I don't even look at it. It's over there on E-Trade and I just don't even want to see it. I keep thinking, I'll just come back. It's a long play. It's a long play, Margaret. But yeah, that was painful. That was not good. Wow. Yeah, it's, that's painful. And I think we've, you know, we're best served by investing in what we know and what we understand and trying to avoid the hype. Yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So, so many of them, but if I had to boil it down to one, I would say that real estate is a team sport, that you are only going to go so far on your own and the people that you choose to partner with matter. So you don't just want to find somebody whose skill set matches yours. You want to find somebody who is ethics and the way they conduct business matches yours, right? Sort of those soft skills are very, very important. So I would say, you know, take on partners, but make, make smart choices about who your partners are. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all these lessons, sharing your story. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Absolutely. So you can go to noblyvest.com, which is N-O-B-L-I-V-E-S-T. We are also on LinkedIn and Instagram. And you can connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn as well. And we do a free educational series and a lot of great webinars and book reviews and things like that. Always putting out content. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're investing on Wall Street and building wealth along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.